It's the Paul's Picks Podcast. I'm David Schellenberg. Hello, Paul. Hey, Dave. All right, what are we drinking today? Um, shocker wine. Okay, and not just any wines. Not just any wine. You know there's, what? There's a theme to this. We're Yeah, we're... The more we do this, the slowly but surely we're getting organized. <laughs> you know, it'll get there, folks. Trust yeah, me, it when... will get there. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking a couple of things. Um, uh, we're recording right now in one of the coldest months in in Canada. It's January it's in Canada. January in Canada. Boy, oh boy. Not that a lot of people are going out these days, but you know what? It doesn't change the fact it's still real cold out there. Well, and it does also, I think, doesn't change what I'm drinking. No. Well, you want to drink something that's going to make it Let's say a heartier, a okay. heartier style wine. So we got some big red wines. Big red wines, but I want, here's the theme we're going with. So the method to the madness here, we're going to talk about blends. Okay. Why do wineries blend their wine? What 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 is the magic, the mystery, the, what was the point? Well, and it's interesting because I, I have heard many people say, you know, I love my Cab Sauv. Mm-hmm. I'm a cab, so, a cab so dude, girl, whatever it is. Like, this is what I love. Yeah. And, and a lot of times when I hear that, it's like, well, why would you limit yourself? Mm-hmm. And, and I agree a hundred percent. I mean, a, like we always say, drink what you like, obviously, sure. but uh, don't limit yourself either. I, I don't think you of know. that. I think it's a certain snobbishness of it's like, I, I have to have this grape and only this grape because that makes me better. I think sometimes those people feel safe. Ah. You know, they get to know one thing really, really well. Right. And they don't want to face a right-handed pitcher when they're used to the left-handed <laughs> pitcher all the time, right? Okay. So let's, let's start with, first of all, what are we drinking? Um, let's start with that. Okay, so uh, I'm going to bring you through the basics of blending. Okay. Uh, and I think there's no better place, in my opinion, in the world to start with than in France. Already pissing off people, I can already tell. <laughs> well, it's not that. It's, it's again, it's the, you know, I love Cab so it's yep. what I drink. And and what you're saying yeah. is a lot of the, the classic wines that have been around mm-hmm. long before you were born yeah. are blends. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a reason why they did it. And that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. And there's no better place to start if you're going to talk about blending and you're going to talk about Ted Watt and you're going to talk about all those keywords that you hear floating around the wine wine world, yeah. you start in Bordeaux. Okay. So before we get into the intricacies, yeah. uh, what's the wine that we're starting with, number one? So the first wine we're going to start with. We're Ooh, gonna, we're, <laughs> very on the nose. Very nice. <laughs> now we've had this open just as a side note. This has been open now almost an hour. Uh, maybe even longer. Maybe even longer. Okay. Yeah. But so let's just say a minimum, minimum an hour is yeah. what we've had this open for. Um, and it's a it's a very generic style Bordeaux, and it's called Chateau Pierre de Montignac. It's okay. a nineteen or sorry a twenty fifteen. Pardon me, um, which was a fantastic vintage. We're going to talk a little bit about vintage years and stuff after we talk about blending. Now, why is blending so important, especially in Bordeaux? Right. So when you take a sip of this, first of all, hold yeah. on. Yeah, okay. Take a you sip want, of the talk wine. About, want to talk about the wine first? Yeah. Okay, well, okay. there's nothing more annoying for me than when you go to a, some sort of a, a presentation and they have to give you the entire history of the world. It's like, just let me have a sip first. I've been to that presentation. Yes. <laughs> let me have a sip. And after I have my sip, then you can tell me about it. But let me sip first. Um, and the sip on this, it's okay. So 
The first thing I want to take a look at, I know you guys can't do this right now, but with Bordeaux, yeah. it's very important to take a look at the color because the color of a Bordeaux is going to determine in a lot of cases what the age might possibly be. Has it right. been aged or is it very young? Right. Very simple way to do that. Just take your glass, tilt it towards a white surface and check out at the rim. You're going to notice with this particular wine, because it is about five, actually six years old now, yeah. um, you'll notice that the, the, the rim starts to get a little bit more watery mm-hmm. and it starts to turn a little bit garnet or brick color indicating age okay now um getting back to the blending part of it well no actually mm-hmm. sorry we're talking about so my initial sip of this i'm not wild about it okay but we have some old cheddar here mm-hmm. and i find when i have a little a nibble of the old cheddar and mm-hmm. then go back to the wine um it really smooths out the wine and becomes a very different thing the wine on its own is textbook Bordeaux. Mm. It's not jammy or overly vanilla. Right. It's very earthy. Yep. Got a lot of earthy characteristics to it. It's got a lot of sort of cedary tones to it. Yeah. Uh, so some people say woodsy. Yeah. Kind of a generic type term, but if you've ever walked through a forest, especially a pine forest or a cedar forest after a rainfall and yep. took a really, really good smell, that's what a lot of this is. There's a bit of mint there yep. and a bit of eucalyptus. There is a bit of mint. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and there's a lot of that sort of leathery uh, black licorice as well. Palate is the same. So the taste is very similar to what you're smelling. And... A common misconception with people with Bordeaux is they're expecting a huge, huge uh, knock-over-your-head Cabernet Sauvignon-style wines. They're not. Right. They're actually, they're very elegant wines after they've started to age. So they're more medium-bodied. They're refined. They're layered. And they change a lot in the glass. It really has from yeah. from when we opened this and took that first initial sip to to now. Uh, it, it went from being something I wasn't wild about because yeah. it it had that sort of old world uh, feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, 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 barnyard and and yeah. it is really smoothed out. And we're having it with a bit of a super old cheddar, and that has also really smoothed it out. Okay, so now that I have a sip, tell yeah. me about blends. Okay, so the reason why. They blend in Bordeaux. There's a couple of... I'm going to talk about the main reasons, okay? okay? For the winemaker himself or herself, they will look at the terroir or what type of soil are they planting their 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 vines in. Right. On Bordeaux is divided. If you can picture a map of, of any place in the world and cut it right in half, okay? Yeah. Bordeaux's kind of like that, where there's a river that separates and they call it the left bank and the right bank. I've heard this for Bordeaux. Okay. Yeah. So it just so just to keep it simple, picture a left bank, right bank and a river going right in the middle of the two as a, a divider, an equator if you will. Right. Now on the left bank, this is where terroir or earth comes into play. The soil is very impoverished. It's tons and tons and tons of gravel. It's very poor soil. A lot of stuff can't grow in it because it's so porous. Okay. Cabernet Sauvignon vines grow extremely well in this type of soil. So the majority of the left bank Bordeaux 
are usually, usually now Cabernet Sauvignon driven for that reason. Right. Because Cab grows best. Now you have also Merlot and you also have Cabernet Franc, which are grown as the second and third grapes. Right. Why do they use them? A couple of reasons. Number one, mellow out the Cabernet Sauvignon. The cabs can come out in a good, ripe, well-done vintage. They can be monsters. They're so tannic, they're almost undrinkable. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, it's like... (laughs) That's what you want. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you want in your wine. I bought this beautiful bottle of wine. Don't touch that. (laughs) Don't drink it. You can't drink it. (laughs) And the, the winemaker will test the wines individually, so they'll vinify... The Cab on its own, Merlot on its own, Cabernet Franc on its own, okay? And in any given vintage, it can vary the proportions that they're going to use. So it's in, say, in a year where Cabernet Sauvignon had a fantastic growing season. Now, remember, Cabernet Sauvignon, one of the longest grapes to stay on the vine, which makes it in in a climate where the temperatures are iffy, it's not the greatest grape to be planted because you're susceptible the longer it stays on the vine the more chance there could be rot yeah there could be freezing because you're you're getting into october before they start doing the harvest there so if the cab if it's a great year for cabernet they're going to use a majority of cab and then they're going to take the merlot now why do they use merlot merlot ripens quicker it's in the winery faster pretty much than any other grape it's softer and it's fruitier. Right. So they'll add that to calm down the Cabernet Sauvignon. Round it out a little bit, if you will. Right. Then you got Cabernet Franc. Now, why Cabernet Franc? It hangs around a little bit longer than Merlot, but it's consistently good in acidity. So sometimes the wine might lack a little bit of acidity and some flavor components. Cabernet Franc brings in a lot of that sort of foresty or woodsy sort of smell and taste. Right. You're going to get a lot of that out of Cabernet Franc. Yeah. So once the three are blended together, the winemaker comes up with their blend, their house blend for that year. The Bordeaux. In the this Bordeaux, case. Yeah. yeah. So then let's say the same, same house, okay? The same house that we're drinking right now, we're drinking the, the 2015. Yeah. 2016 was not a good year. Yeah. The proportions are going to be different. And if you're collecting the wine, the wine is going to taste different and is not going to age as long. Right. Because the vintage was not conducive for aging. And I, I guess it sort of goes back to what I was thinking about. When you talk about soils that are not great for growing Cabernet mm-hmm. Sauvignon in, mm-hmm. then why on earth would you grow in it? I'll give you my my answer. Yeah. Exactly what I think. I think a lot of people grow cab in areas that they shouldn't be growing cab because it's trendy and it's fashionable. Okay. When No, honestly. That's not the answer I was expecting. Yeah, uh, no, I, honestly. I think people, certain producers are will slap together a wine yeah. that doesn't have any of the characteristics that a true Cabernet Sauvignon should, but because people know the name Cabernet Sauvignon, they automatically assume, oh, that's that's Cabernet Sauvignon. I drink that all the time. It's going to yeah, be yeah. great. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And it's not. 
it, it's not anything near what Cabernet Sauvignon should be. See, interesting. Yeah. But what where I was expecting uh, you to go with that was this feeling that grapes are better on the lean years and that they need to struggle. They the the drier years produce better grapes. In certain instances, yes. Okay. However, it it it's conducive to producing maybe a more complex and rich wine that yeah. would have more cellaring potential where it's a downfall for the cat for the maker for the winemaker and let's face it now remember it is a business is they're not going to produce anywhere near as much as they should no and there there does seem to be something about grapes and we've heard this in in growing regions around the world yeah uh the drier years you end up with fewer grapes yes yeah but the grapes you end up with just taste better and and there's absolute truth to that i'm I'm not disputing that for a second but this is where our blending comes into play and this is where the winemaker can salvage a vintage as well because then let's say as you say Mm -hmm. that the cabernet sauvignon has a a stellar year like we're talking blockbuster it's gone on the vine as long as it possibly can it's so ripe it's it's incredible they might make their first wine with the majority being cab and make very, very little of it because there's only so much to go around. Right. But, but they also, a lot of these wineries have a second and a third wine. Those wines will have more Merlot uh-huh. because Merlot came into the winery, as I mentioned earlier, it's already been vinified. They've yeah. got their quota for their Merlot and their Cabernet Franc. Cab Sauve, well... A lot less, which means their premier wines, their top, top wines, they might only offer 100 cases compared to 250, but then their secondary wines are up 60, 70% more offering than it was from the previous year. Right. You see where I'm going there with that? yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's where blending, that's where the winemaker, it gives them a bit of a almost like a safety net for them in a sense where they can toy around and move things around as they see fit and then still come up with a consistent blend for their best wines. And then for second and third wines, well, they can play around with them because let's face it, they they still need a revenue coming in so they can make these great wines. Sure. And that's, that's part of the blend. Now, having said all that stuff... Here's where I completely contradict myself. Okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah. This wine here, after everything I've said, is predominantly Merlot, and it was a great year. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, because I was I was thinking about that as as I've been been tasting and and you know sipping while you've been talking. It's yep. this to me does not taste like a Cabernet Sauvignon. No, and, and no, it's mostly Merlot. This particular producer went against the grain, and they decided that they could make a tannic and, and big enough wine in a great year yeah. uh, without having to go the Cabernet Sauvignon route. But they blended it. Again, though, they, it's, it has been blended. Now, the reason they're thinking behind this wine, I'm guessing, would be quite simply, we want a Merlot-driven wine, so a little fruity, and it is. It's yeah. fruitier than your average left-bank wine. Um, and... We'll use the Cabernet Sauvignon with the tannin that Cab has so that it can age. This wine that we're trying right now, even though it's a 2015, another 10, 15 years in your cellar, no problem. 
Right. No problem at all. And, you know, yeah. And what, <laughs> how would it, how would it change in 10 or 15 years? So what happens with Bordeaux or any reds actually that you age? A couple of things. Number one, they're, first of all, let's talk about the, the color, the sight of the wine. If we take a look at the wine that we have now, as I mentioned, if you look at the core of the wine, it's a deep red. Yeah. And as you get to the rim, as I was talking about, you kind of get more of a watery rim to it and it starts to turn that sort of garnet brick color, right? Orangey brick color. With time, that... Orangey brick? Yeah, at, at the rim. When you tilt it and take a look, you'll see. And... Okay. And with time, what happens is that rim at the will get more and more watery, so it'll expand, so it'll right. be almost like water, and it'll start, the core color will start to get more and more transparent and more and more garnet colored, not red. It'll turn, the, the color of the wine's going to change. Right. Why? The tannin that's in the wine, especially when there's a lot of cab or a tannic style of wine like this one is, will polymerize. In other words, all the nutrients that are in the wine will amalgamate together. They will form and they will drop to the bottom of the bottle. Ah. And that's what they call sediment. Right. And that's why with older bottles, you have to decant them, usually losing almost a quarter of the wine. A quarter? At, at For very, very old wines, yeah. you can. How old is very old? I'd say any from 15 to 20 years plus. I've okay. seen wines with uh, enormous amount of tannin in right. them at the but bottom. But 15 plus. 15 plus. And now, here's the other thing, and this is where... This is where it gets very interesting. Um, myself, as a my personal taste, I like drinking most wines when they're on the younger side. Mm-hmm. That's my style. Mm-hmm. Okay? So this Bordeaux, to me, as it stands right now, I like it. I like it with a rare steak. Yeah. Or with lamb would be something I'd love to try this with. Or even being French-Canadian, a tortier and yeah. a Bordeaux is, is it's just fantastic. And we're having it with some old, old cheddar. Which I think works great. Yes, it really did. Because my my sip of this... <laughs> but but have a, a nibble of this old cheddar and go back to it and completely change it. And, and it should. Yes. And you're hoping for that. Well, and, and I find that's, that's part of... Uh, Old world versus new world, which is an entirely different conversation. But mm. but old world for me, for me, and everybody's different, mm-hmm. but for me needs food. I, I cannot just sit and drink like an old world French or an old world Spanish, which you're about to try, um, on its own. But if I have it with food, yeah. then it's a different experience entirely. I, I, I am totally in 100% agreement with that. Um, I find I can sit back with a bottle of, uh, as an example, California Cab, yeah. and I can drink it on its own. Honestly, yes, exactly. I, I can. I could just sit there, slightly chilled, yep. slightly chilled, but I could just sit back and put a hockey game on, yes. <laughs> or football if you're, or soccer, whatever yeah, you're, whatever. whatever your sports you're into, and lose myself in the game in that bottle, and I don't even need to eat. It's, it's fine on its own. All right, so that was a French red. Now we've French also got a yep. Spanish red sitting here. This one's an Italian, actually. Italian, but, sorry, yeah, yes, that's Italian. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and another blend. <laughs> yeah, another blend. Now this, oh man, there's a story behind this one. This, okay. this is fun here. 
Um, I love telling this story. I was told this story. Um, oh, man. I'm not dating myself. Screw that. I'm really not. But I was told this story a long, long time ago. In 1997, there was uh, an explosion, a good explosion in Italy when it came to the wine world. Okay. And what happened was it was the birth of what they call Super Tuscans. Yes. Okay. The interesting thing, first of all, let's clear up some myths. Super Tuscan was not a name that the Italians gave their wine. <laughs> Let, let's, let's clear that, that clear, yeah. right now yeah. that that was never any Italian person's idea. Because, uh, like, uh, and I'm not only saying Italian, all wine producers take enormous pride in their wines. Right. But in Italy, I've, I've personally, I've always found Italy... Uh, I found it a difficult subject because the terminologies and, and what they use to describe their wines, sometimes it's the, the vineyard that's on the label only, sometimes it's the wine name, sometimes it's the adjacent vineyard, uh, uh, sometimes it's the producer's name, sometimes, oh, I, I get, I, I really have to do my research when I'm talking about Italian wines. Anyway, back to the Super Tuscans. What happened Just was... Just never say Super Tuscan? Is yeah, that what you're saying? Not in Italy. Never? All right. <laughs> I don't think they, they really... T- you might end up at the bottom of a lake or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Sorry, bad stereotype. Yeah, I, no. I watch too much Sopranos. Anyway, um, so anyway, getting back to the Super Tuscans, what yep. happened there was that um, for North America became... Uh, a, a, a just a fantastic market for European wines very quickly. Well, very quickly. So Tuscan, of course. Uh, yeah. Before you get to Super Tuscan, yeah. what, when when you just say Tuscan, yeah. what does that mean? So Tuscany, yeah. uh, which is in central Italy, uh, is the birthplace, a home place of arguably uh, Italy's biggest contribution to North American. In the sense that that's where Chianti comes from. Ah, okay. okay. The Chianti itself, and we're not. I'm not going to go on because that's a that's whole a other different thing, podcast entirely. Yeah, the Chianti, in a nutshell, was the introduction of fine red wine at that time yeah. to most North Americans. I mean, who? Well, I a lot of people, my generation anyway, will fondly remember uh, the straw bottle. Yeah, the straw bottle, and that was the candy bottle. And right. you go to restaurants, and it wasn't uncool. It was actually very cool at the time to see one of those bottles on the table with a candle in it. Yeah, you thought you were a really nice place. You yes. know, it was really uh, old cuisine. Yeah, you know? it's Tuscan. It's cool. Yeah, yeah it's classy. It's <laughs> traditional. Know, this meal's gonna cost me twenty bucks. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that was the introduction to a lot of people to Italian wines. Right. Well, the Chianti market exploded. It was it was incredible the amount of money that was being exported yeah. out of Italy, something they never really uh, thought of because they figured, well, you know, they were making all making a living. Right. Um, in fact, a little fact here. How many registered wineries do you think there are in Italy right now? Roughly, just registered wineries. 
it, it, this okay, this is going to be one of the things where it's either twelve or three thousand, mm-hmm. and <laughs> it, it's it won't be something in the middle. It'll be super low or super high. I'm going to say. I'm going to say high. I'm going to say it's like 2000 something, some ridiculously high Like number. the Price is Right game. What was that yeah, Price is Right game? Yeah, 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 exactly. I'll bid $80 and four cents. Yeah. 700,000 registered wineries. 100,000. Yeah. 700,000 right. registered wineries so in Italy. So stupidly high. Yeah. Yeah. So needless to say, they're they're they've got they produce a lot of wine out there. Yeah, and now and that's a small country. Yeah, and it's covered in in vine. Right. Really, literally from the north to the south, the east to the west, it's covered in vine. Anyway, Italy or er, Tuscany, sorry, uh, they, they saw a massive market. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, the market exploded very quickly for for uh, European wines to coming into North Americans. North Americans went literally went from drinking ports and sherries yeah. and hard beers. I'm not talking light. We, there was no such thing as light beers back then. In the was, 90s. Yeah, or 80s, 80s 70s yeah. even, even se- and 60s even, malt liquor. Right. Right? That's where we were. Baby duck for us as Canadians you were living a high life, man, if you were drinking the baby duck back in well, the, the day. Well, the funny thing is, I, I can so picture that bottle with a straw around it. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. So, Italy got to the point where uh, the Canty, all the other producers saw the potential that North America's interest in wine went bananas. Yeah. So, what do they do? And this is coming back to our blending. It all comes back. <laughs> so, what do they do? They see the market stagnate. All the other European countries are flooding all over North America. And then all of a sudden the birth of California, Australia, New Zealand, Canada. Yeah. All these places start pop- popping up. Everyone's flooding wine. What do they do that's different? How do they regain the market? Some of the producers, Frescobaldi, which is one of the one that we're trying right now. We're going to try. I can tell they're deep just salivating. I already tried it. Okay. All right. So we'll be all right for <laughs> yeah. about another 30 seconds. Um, they said, we got we to gotta jump on this wagon because there's money to be made. So what did they do? Something that was forbidden. They took non-indigenous varieties. So Sangiovese, which is the grape that Chianti's made with, along right. with some others, they said, why don't we keep the Sangiovese and let's start planting Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, oh. Cabernet Franc, because that seems to be where the North Americans are leaning. Why? One of the main reasons. Tenuta di Frescobaldi means shit to anybody that doesn't know who that company is. Okay. Okay. But you say Cabernet Sauvignon. Ah, now all of a sudden people are perking up. I like Cabernet Sauvignon. Right. I drink Cabernet Sauvignon. Yes. There's so, a lot of people that do. They, they don't know much, but they know they, they like Cabernet Sauvignon. I, or I'm on the Shiraz bandwagon. Yeah. I only drink Shiraz. Yeah. Okay. So what do these guys do? They decide they're going to start blending. <laughs> yeah. They start blending their Sangiovese with Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Cabernet Franc. Ah. Now, at the beginning, everything's rosy. Everyone's loving. And guess what? These wines are getting rave reviews from all the American 
and North American wine writers. People are loving them. They're winning medals left, right, and center at all these competitions worldwide. Right. Saying this is the new thing. This is it. Yeah. These are the birth of the Super Tuscans. Bam. Boom. Now, uh-oh, as with most things in life... It only goes so well for so long, and there's going to be a pothole somewhere on right. the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something comes along, and it just doesn't last. No, I have to have a sip, so you asked me a question here while I have a drink. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so so the question that keeps going through my mind is, is you say Tuscan, and mm-hmm. you say Super Tuscan. So, it, to me, you add the word super in front of something, mm-hmm. or, you know, plus after it, like Tuscan plus. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I am assuming it's exactly what this is but more so when mm-hmm. they say super tuscan are are we taking the the flavors and enhancing that is that what they mean yeah exa- exactly it they're marketing a wine to be more north american friendly right okay in a nutshell of course there's more reasons than that i know all that but but does that just mean more flavor yes hence the blend right hence the blend and the blending means that canty or Sangiovese on its own. Um, some people might hate me for saying this, but they can be very one-dimensional. Sure. Uh, not that they're not n- descriptive, but they seem to follow a very sort of strict sort of pattern. And there's nothing that makes a whole lot stand out more than others, except for some aging things. And some wineries do some different things, but right. nothing really that, but when you start adding Cabernet Sauvignon and everything, all of a sudden people's interest. And like I said, it was eaten up by wine uh, critics around the world. They thought this is just, uh, we've never seen this. First of all, this is unheard of. Well, exactly. So the bump in the road didn't fly so good with the, Italian Wine Commission at the time. Right. All these, the companies that were doing it, Frescobaldi is one of them. Another one that comes to mind, very popular, Antonori, which is the winery responsible for Tinganello and all these, Sasakai, all these great big wines. Um, they were basically warned. They were, they, yeah. were, they were told in no uncertain terms. Okay. If you guys continue to do this you are losing all credibility for your wines and all your wines irregardless of style or whatever are all getting demoted to table wine status across the board all of them table wine table wine and it was like that's evil vino da tavola all of the wines they looked at it and well what's a table wine plunk Plunk you buy from a farmer down, a, down because, the road. Because you can't afford the good stuff? Because you could get a jug for $3. All right. That's yeah. what, what the a table so wine just, there is. So the, homemade the, wine. Homemade home, wine. Oh, homemade wine. Homemade wine. Okay, homemade wine. Best way to describe. Okay. So these guys said, you know what? We're going against the grain. There's, yeah. just, there's just too much money to be had. We, we're confident in the product. We're putting out a good product. We're proud of the product and we're still sticking to traditional ways for the most part. So they kept doing it. So guess what happened? Yeah. Everything got demoted to table wines. Well, guess what? At a time, and if you have some of the bottles, I might, <laughs> um, <laughs> that the, t- the wines like Tiganello, Sesakaya, Ornalaya, all these wines that sell 
for $100 to $379 a bottle right. were labeled table wines at the award shows. Uh. They all got demoted. The wine world didn't recognize it. If they recognized it in Italy, everyone else said, no, these are quality wines. These guys can afford to, to uh, get, you know, ask the price that they're asking for for these wines. So over time... Because they were blends? Because they blended with non-Indigenous varieties. Non-Indigenous. Okay, that's, that's the key. Yeah. So they didn't use Italian grape Grapes, varieties right? when they were using stuff from North America, stuff they got from who knows where. Right. But they were not... From Italy, so it didn't matter what the t- it, it tasted amazing. Oh, but because okay, I see what you're saying. So they said they said okay, well table table wines it is. They kept going with it. Yeah. Then the year happened, the year of the blended wine. So he blends again. 1997, <laughs> 1997 for the Super Tuscan was arguably the banner year, the best vintage that Tuscany ever saw. Yeah. To most people. Right. Arguably, but to that most. right combination of rain and sun and whatever. Everything. Yeah. The ripening that everything hit. Yeah. Everything hit perfect. So when the Super Tuscans went on the market, mostly in North America, people would line up. I know. I worked I worked at the release of the Super Tuscans, and I'm not kidding you, and this is a true story. Yeah. There were wineries, or sorry, uh Restaurants, we had a hotel across the street from the wine store that I used to work at. Um, and they were paying employees because we had to limit two bottles per person of any of the 97 Super Tuscans that we got in. And we got right. a very limited amount. They were paying their employees to stay at the hotel across the street from my wine store to line up. At 5 o'clock in the morning, when I got to work that day, got to work three hours early, they yeah. told us, and there was a lineup down the block for people with, and we were handing tickets out yeah. for the 97 blended Super Tuscans, and we would hand out a ticket per person, and they were only allowed to grab two bottles each. And the staffs were coming in from restaurants around just so that they could get those bottles to the restaurants because they were in such high demand. Do you remember what they sold for? At that time, again, between $100 and $300 a bottle. Wow. And and because of that vintage, that blended wine vintage, they decided Italy, the governing bodies, decided we're giving them their statuses back. Right. We're recognizing them as... It, it, it's validated. Italian, yeah, yeah. It's, it's validated now, and we have to move forward. So now, yeah. when you go from northern Italy all the way down to southern Italy, Puglia, Sardinia, those regions, a lot of them blend now for that reason. It saves their vintages. Well, and it's interesting because we were just talking about Bordeaux, where it's, as I understand it, it was always a blend. Mm-hmm. So why would France always be a blend and you just go essentially over the border and it's not? They learned by trial and error. That what, that in the 1600s? Even before. Yeah. Romans used to blend in the AD times because of the same reasons I'm telling you right now. Because... Yeah. They couldn't rely. Do you think that back then they had mechanical harvesters <laughs> and, and and wind machines and all that kind of stuff? No, they were totally.
totally at the mercy of Mother Nature. So they knew we have to plant so much of this type of grape, so much of that, because that one comes in quicker. So, you know, if something goes wrong, you know what I mean? And it's the same principle carried from year to year to year to year. Where it became advantageous to, we'll say, newer people, like you're a a California guy. You love California wines. Yes. Well, we're talking, we're still talking blends here. California was able to absorb everything that Bordeaux and the true, the true people will tell you this is true. Yeah. That they adopted all of their things that they did for hundreds and hundreds of years and just shoehorned it into what they have to deal with in California to make it the perfect fit. So it's like cheating off the smart kid in, in, in school, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's the same principle. And then, but then California put their spin on their blend. Here's another thing. A lot of people don't know talking about California, talking about blends in California, you buy yourself a bottle of, um, I don't know, we'll say Camus Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, (laughs) and Fantastic. The special selection is one of the, I think, one of the best Cabernet Sauvignons in the world. It's yeah. expensive. It's around 200 I oh, think, around geez. something like that. Okay. Fantastic. Duckhorn, Stag's Leap, on and on and on and on and on. Did you know that at least 15% of that, even though it's called Cabernet Sauvignon, can be a blend of pretty much anything they decide to throw into it at uh, any given time? And, and uh, that is an AVA or a, a rule that's in writing that they're allowed to do it. If they want to use hundred percent cab, no problem. Right. If you want to add up to 15% of anything else to make the style you want, no problem at all. Well, that was exactly my question. Like, so is it, so it's 15%. It's not like 50% or something. Not it's yet. A, it's a, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. All right. So to go back a step. So when yeah. you talked about. Uh, we talked a lot. I've talked a lot. Yes, yeah. I know. And I, I have multiple <laughs> questions and we have another bottle yet to try. <laughs> um, but Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot, when you talk about doing the blend and how that adds an extra component, mm. are you saying that Cabernet Sauvignon by itself or Merlot by itself is boring? No. No, absolutely not. Um, I think 100% Cabernet Sauvignons, when done properly, uh, are fantastic on their own. They can stand up to just about anything. But, right. But, 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 then the winemaker is limiting themselves to a vintage. So if it's not a good vintage, if they're, let's say you're, 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 you're not moving your position. You're doing 100% cab in your vineyard, excuse me, no matter what. Yeah. You get a bad year, you're screwed. You've got no fallback. So that's a chance you're going to have to take. If you want to do it, that's up to you. You could you could make a table wine with whatever you've got in the vineyard. Right. But you won't make your standard wine. It's impossible because you got nothing. There's no, no, no cushion there. There's nothing to help you out a little bit. But sort of what I heard you say was it's the flavor profile that changes when you yeah, add a blend. Absolutely. Oh, big time. And it that's where it gets tricky. And that's why people say, well, why is why are vintages so important? Why yeah. is a vintage so important? Let's clear that, me- that whole mess up. 
when you're buying your standard wines, yeah. they're going to taste consistent year after year because they have the technology now to make a table wine to taste exactly the same every single year. Wait, and you've you've told us table wines are bad. Well, no, it's just they're they are what they are, right? Mm. I drink table wines. I'm I'll be the first to admit it. I, oh yeah, I have, a, I have I, a box of them in my fridge absolutely. right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I who doesn't? I mean, why not? I can't drink two hundred dollars. I'd like to drink two hundred dollars <laughs> bottles every night, but I can't. Right. And I find a lot of great wines that are just table wines. I'm yeah. okay, but. When you start limiting yourself, if you're going to go for a higher standard, a higher grade, higher classification, whichever you want to call it, depending where you're growing, you're starting to limit yourself more and more. That's why they rely on the blending of the wine. It might not taste exact from year to year, but in good years, it's going to be a phenomenal wine that's going to be probably... 20, 25% more expensive in some cases right. than it was three years ago because it wasn't so good of a vintage. Right. Right? And that's why they do it. Now, if we t- we haven't even talked about this wine for the taste or anything, or did we? I can't uh, remember. We, d- we did a little bit. We didn't do the pairing. Um, but but just... Go, yeah, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, go. because you mentioned the year. Yeah. I, like, so, so where we are in Ontario, yeah. like... We've even seen in Ontario, and they are table wines. Yeah, one year tastes different than a different year. Yeah, yeah. So and it tends to be the the better years are the worse years mm-hmm. for growing conditions. the The dry years where the grapes have to struggle mm-hmm. to grow have a tendency to taste better. So geography for for the geography that we're in, we're in. A very win-lose situation. There's areas in the world, as example, Chile, yeah. Argentina, um, South Africa, for, for the most part, Australia, for the most part. Um, their vintages are very consistent. They don't deal with snow right. like we do and cold like <laughs> we do. The, the snap freeze in, in yeah, August. Like. Yeah, yeah. You don't usually see that when you're, you're in Chile or Argentina unless you're up in the Andes Mountains. So for them, they have more leeway. With us in Canada, especially Ontario, um, we're really at the mercy. I mean, you... I... I, I, I I remember a saying from one of the winemakers we met, actually, we know very well, said um, that, you know, in order to make a million, you have to invest 10. Yes. You know, and... Yes, and, that's an old joke in Ontario. And, that, and that's so true it, because, yeah. because of the weather conditions. So... But there's something about bad weather makes good wine. It makes less of it. But it makes more concentrated. Yes. More concentrated. I agree with you, 100%. The taste is legitimately better when the weather is worse. But here's the the conundrum with that, is that if you're, again, and and people have to think of it, not all these wine producers have chateaus. Not all these wine producers are multi-million dollar conglomerates. A bad year for a farmer farming vineyards uh, is detrimental. Like, I mean, they can still go ahead and make the good wine for yeah. sure, but then they're going to rely on something. And this is something people may or might not know. And I'm going to say it. Um, if you don't have a good vintage, I agree with what you're saying. You're hundred percent on the money, shitty vintages, bad vintages, 
produce better wines in they some d- cases. Okay, for right. sure. It's remarkable. Yeah. But again, the winery has to make money in order to produce that wine. Yes, they do, yeah. They're allowed to import plunk wines from other countries, and I've seen it done. Yes. Where tankers will come in and fill the winery's needs with white and red wines so that they can produce their table wines to make the money. But again, they're... They can't rely too heavily. Again, that's where the blending comes in is where they're hoping that if it's going to be bad for a certain grape, it'll be better for others. But then you're going to get differences if temperatures are inconsistent. Like in Ontario, there'll be remarkable differences from year to year to year because our weather changes from year to year to year. It's never consistent here. Right. And I cringe for them because there's... Please come to Ontario and, and check out the wineries. They're so <laughs> nice down there. And, and Prince Edward County, our friends down there. Um, but I, I I don't know how they do it. I, 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 I would, I'd be, up, I'm telling you, I'd be hooked up to a heart monitor 24-7 if I was doing the wineries out there. But anyway. You know, they've, they've got a plan A and a plan B and a C, a C and a D. You've got the whole yeah. alphabet. You've got all of winter to be sitting there coming up with plans you because know, there's nothing else to do. You know how they see in the weather network when the weather's really bad and they run out of letters to call hurricanes? exactly. That's an Ontario any vintage year in Ontario, you can almost run out of letters for, for them. Yeah. God bless them all though. All right. So let, let's give it to, I'm, I'm going to lose my voice here. Um, so we're going to go to our final blend and, and I saved this one for last for simple reason. Um, it's the best. <laughs> Arguably. Um, so what part of the world are we going to now? Going to Australia. Oh, wow. Okay. We're really doing the world. So uh, an Australian blend. No. So we've, we've gone from an old world blend to a new world blend. A, oh my God, did that wine ever change? It's because we poured. Wow. Oh. Just oh, on the nose, oh. I get. It smells like a steak now. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay, focus, Paul. Um, okay, uh, we're talking about blends. Okay, so let's 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 do the wine because I I want I want to do the wine here. I want to do the wine. This is called the Black Shook. Uh, it's a Shiraz Viognier blend. We're gonna get into that. It's a surprise part of this. Um, it's a blend from Australia. Mm-hmm. Again, um, ugh, hard to talk about their weather lately. Not so good. Not so, so good. Lots of fires. Lots yes. of lots of stuff going on down there. But let's say on an average in Australia, the weather for them is usually pretty consistent. So they can consistently produce good vintages. Okay? Oh, yeah. Australia just assumed yeah. dry. Yeah. So let's get that out of the way. But let's get this wine kangaroos in and the wallabies. Yeah. yeah, kangaroo poop and wallaby poop in the vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a problem they have to deal with. Yeah, and, and I agree. On the nose, like, um, mm. this wine has completely changed because we poured this, mm. you know, a while ago before we started recording all this, and it's it's it smells different. We had a couple of people, a couple of guests come in, and try these wines with us ahead of time. The neighbors. Yeah. The drunk neighbors. <laughs> and uh, the... Um, it's 
bottle's lighter than it was yeah, before. It's, <laughs> it's funny how that happens, eh? Yeah. Do you get stronger as you drink? I yeah. think so, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, or you think you get stronger. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Um, so this wine here, first of all, uh, let's, let's, let's do the... Let's analyze it first. So on the nose, I, I have nothing to say, but just strawberry, rhubarb, pie, jammy, all that beautiful vanilla. See, I like sort of gets like steak spice. Um, like a Montreal steak spice, all spice yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, a little. Yeah. It, it's it's not that it's garlic. It's not that it's onion. It's not that it's pepper. It's just, it's sort just of a that, bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, all of that blended together, like like yeah. the multi green bagel kind of thing too. And uh, or, multi, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're. Yeah, I know where you're going with it. Yeah. Um, so let's get to the blending. One of the reasons why they blend again is so that they can achieve what you just experienced: multi layered. Nose multi-layered palate. This delivers on all counts. Hands down, one of the best examples of blending, I think, that we've tried today because it's out there. Yeah. You don't have to dig around in this wine. It, it it presents itself. Here's your $20. Here's your show. It you know, <laughs> It's on the pole. It's on the pole big time here. <laughs> you know, um, round and round is playing by rat, and this is just... <laughs> This is just the rock and roll wine right here. Yeah, and I'm telling you, I, um, no short of no shortage of descriptors for this wine. I mean, if you're looking for that jammy, um, fresh pie out of the oven. Again, strawberry, rhubarb, vanilla, uh, ice cream, vanilla ice cream. Wow, it's you got get stuff on this. I don't. I don't oh. get that at all. I get way more. What are you getting? Gar- garlic okay. and um, and onion. Now, Dave had a meatball sub. Yeah, <laughs> which was really good. It was. It looked really, really, really good. Uh, for him not to eat the whole thing, I have oh, never seen that. <laughs> I am resisting. Yeah. <laughs> Let's finish this up so I can finish eating. So, um, a perfect example, and this is what we're going to finish up on. Um they do a lot of blending in Australia because of the heat. So let's go back to a couple of your questions. You said, you asked me, well, what about, you know, in, in vintages that are super, super hot where, you know, they, they're, they get less fruit and, but things are really dried out and, and, and the grapes are super ripe. That's something, a good thing that happens in Australia more times than not. <laughs> okay. Well, that goes also back to the, why are you growing these grapes in this region? They've come up with the solution, yeah. the blend. Uh-huh. Ah, see, I told you guys it all comes together. It takes a while, but it gets there. Um, what they do is something that they took from the French. Yeah. Ah, and this is something that the French did in the Rhone Valley. So Rhone Valley, if you're not familiar with it, no problem. This isn't a history class or geography. <laughs> Yeah, although it seems like it sometimes. Um, but there's no quiz. There's no quiz at the end, just happiness. <laughs> um, the French started using uh, Shiraz in the northern part of the Rhone. So you might be familiar with Chateau Neuf du Pape. A lot of people are. I've heard of it. At least the yes. name. At least the name. Well, we've gone from it's Bordeaux right. to Chateau Neuf du Pape. Yeah. So, yes. Now, Chateau Neuf du Pape's in southern Rhone. In the northern Rhone, remember when I was talking to you earlier, I said the impoverished soils that they have on the left bank in Bordeaux where it's gravelly and rocky. Okay, it's 10 times worse 
in the northern part of the Rhone. They literally can't grow anything except vines in some parts, like nothing. Right. They have what they call pudding stones. So when you walk the vineyard, you can't... Pudding? Pudding stones. As in chocolate? No, no. (laughs) Pudding stones is a rock that's like approximately, we'll say, I don't know, eight, eight inches, eight inches to nine inches in circumference. Yeah. And... It's all over the place in the vineyard. They're everywhere. So it's 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 hard to get tractors. Most of the stuff has to be done by hand because they can't get machinery in those areas. But the vines produce the most phenomenal. Some of the vines that they have out there, the Shiraz vines are between 50 and 100 years old and they're still collecting fruit off it. Mm. But here's the problem. Mm-hmm. It's too strong. Two, the, the wines from certain regions in the northern part, are the Shiraz are so powerful right. that they can age up to 30, sometimes 40 years because they're so tannic. Right. So somebody somewhere along the line, through trial and error, yeah. started trying to blend. Red and red together wasn't really working. A, because a lot of the red vines weren't growing. Shiraz yeah. could grow, but a lot of the other ones, Merlot can't. Go. Well, I can see how one year this vine grows and yeah. a different year that vine grows. And they figured, okay, our red, we're going to stick with Shiraz because it, it rules. So let's just stick slowly to Shiraz for red. Yeah. And someone came up with the idea, why don't we add Viognier? Huh? What do Another you mean? grape. There's, Another there's grape. a grape we haven't mentioned at all in the but, past but wait. minutes. Yeah. But wait, Viognier. Isn't that a white variety? Uh, yes, it is. Why do we add it? Adds finesse. Adds floral. Adds a little bit more fruitiness to the wine right. that it needed. So what do the Australians do? They did the same thing. But if, if, and this is going back to terroir and blending, if you try to blend it Shiraz Viognier from the Northern Rhone and yeah. tried it up against the Black Shook... Night and day. Ah. Not even close. Not even in the ballpark. You couldn't find I, I dare you to find a similarity between the two wines. It'd be hard you'd be you'd be hard pressed or you're lying. One of the, <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> well and and it's funny when like the initial thought when you mentioned uh, red grapes mixed with white. I think it, this is going to be a rosé, mm-hmm. uh, mm. which of course mm. is not what a rosé is at all. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, I think a lot of us have that in our heads. Mm-hmm. No, and the Viognier here, and I get it more on the palate. Um, a very, I'm tasting very a lot of violet. I'm getting a lot of that violet taste in my mouth, lavender, right. And that's strictly because of Viognier. And that's why they blend there, just to add an extra dimension. In their case, and this is why I wanted to end with this one. Yeah. This has nothing to do with saving a vintage. This is strictly, stylistically, the wine they want to produce. They don't have to add Viognier because they're going to get consistent vintages if they wanted to use 100% Shiraz. Right. These guys thought... The Viognier adds an extra dimension, and that's where we want to be. 
known for. That's where our wine stands out different from all the rest. If you believe in scores, if you believe in gold medals, this wine is 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 it's just covered in covered in, in gold medals. If you if you follow that stuff, and a lot of people do, this is a fantastic wine. Well, even if you believe in history, yeah, which I I think there's a lot of people. Doesn't matter if it's it's wines or whiskeys. Yeah. It's like oh, I gotta have a you know a single malt something or other in my whiskey. It's like, well, screw you. Yeah. Like the the reality is blends of all this stuff are ancient. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that's where, unfortunately, and this is a part of the, this industry I don't like is the snobby part of it. Yeah. Is I don't think you should ever limit yourself to trying different things ever. I've tasted... Um, I'll be honest, I've tasted, uh, I'm not bragging, but I've tasted scotches, single malts that were worth over $10,000 a bottle. Yes. And I've tried blended uh, whiskeys from right here in Canada that, you know what, uh, properly done, holy mackerel, uh, hard to... Blind tasting, uh, unless you're, you know, uh, Michael Jackson, the, the <laughs> famous, uh, the famous once famous uh, writer for yeah. scotches and did the Scotch Bible. Uh, hard pressed to tell the difference, so don't limit yourself. Try it all. No, and if it tastes good, then enjoy drink it. it. Yes, absolutely. All right. So, um, what are the 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 prices of the wines that we tried? This so one? I. Uh, Basically, the Bordeaux's around. You, it's about a twenty-three-ish dollar investment. Yeah. The uh, Frescobaldi's approximately twenty dollars as well. Right. And the Black Shook again twenty dollars. All wines can be cellared for three to five years. All worthwhile having in your cabinet. All right, Paul Carrier and Paul's Picks. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Dave. This has been the Paul's Picks podcast. Mm-hmm.